Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. We review the week. What happened this week? Why did that happen? What are the consequences going to be? We get together with local journalists. This week, riding light rail once again came with a cost. Imagine someone interrupted you to lecture you about how this train ride is only made possible through your financial support and then didn't just go away and let you keep using it for free. We're going to discuss the no-turnstile situation in a few minutes with these aforementioned local journalists. GeekWire contributing editor. Welcome back, Mike Lewis. Hey, Bill. Seattle Channel host and producer Brian Callanan, welcome back. Great to be here, Bill. Independent health journalist Joanne Silberner, who is celebrating solar winter. Hi, Joanne. Hi. Yeah, it's a big event. It's the uh, darkest three months of the year, so it's a month and a half either side of the shortest day of the year, and we're a week into it almost. Yeah, it's winter in a sense. It's atmospheric autumn, and it is meteorological autumn. It is solar winter. Love it. Solar winter. Uh, and by the way, you can. There is enough light in this studio to uh, that you can watch the show happen. The big dark is not in effect in our studio. You can go onto Facebook or YouTube and watch the show uh, come together. We'd be glad to see you. Okay, let's get in to the news and figure out what happened this week. We're going to begin with you, the voter, or should I say, you. The probably non-voter. Either way, the ballots, such as they are, are now counted. Brian Callanan, six new faces on the Seattle City Council are are, are on the way by January, right? Yeah, we're looking at that. And I I really look at this as a council that Mayor Harrell... He, this is he's he's the guy who gave support to all these different council members here that are, are taking on these new roles for the most part, other than uh, Tammy Morales out there. But in looking at that, I really looked at this as a, I guess, a different dynamic on the council in where before it was a situation. Take that drug law that we've been talking about for so many months, for example. That was a situation where council was divided, really couldn't figure things out. Harold had to come in and say, all right, I'll save the day and set things straight here and make sure we get the two sides talking. Now he's got this majority on his side of at least six votes, a super majority on the council here. So I'm very interested to see how he uses it. It's going to be a different role for him. I think it's going to be a different council. A lot of people have talked about this, how it's shifted a little bit more towards the middle. I don't know what words you want to use, moderate or whatever else, but uh, that's that's definitely where the council is going here. So it's now the mayor's council, and it's up to him to figure out what he can actually do with that political clout. The one of the interesting things to me is that the there was a uh, a little bit of a discussion about the lack of influence from unions in this mm. election. I mean, when you primarily point out sort of the SEIU. Um, United, uh, Unite Here locally, unions like that who that played a larger role in previous elections, although I would argue they probably played about the same in this one. But then they forget about some of the other unions, the other unions like SPOG, the Seattle Police Officers Guild. Mm-hmm. It is uh, that constant discussion about crime and morale and staffing had an effect. And if you don't think that those those some of those council members owe their seats to the constant and I'm, I'm using the term carping, but, I, but I, I'm not saying it's not legitimate complaining. But the constant uh, return to that issue had a major role. And that's also union power as well. So 
I would argue that there, this, this uh, election was heavily influenced uh, by unions, just different unions than what Seattle is frequently used to. I, I would point out there that in terms of the dollars that were put out here, business interests outspent the uh, the union interest by about a six to one margin here. So I, I I hear what you're saying about those different union influences, but there was some big business uh, involved here too that really helped with these elections too from but, an independent expenditure. But big business also spent outspent last time. I mean, they just spent it less effectively when Amazon came in late I with you. all that money and it kind of reversed actually an election right. that they didn't intend on reversing. The 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 smaller service industry unions mm-hmm. um, do get outspent frequently in elections. Sometimes they do better than other times, depending on the alignment with the council and things like that. So, so again, yes, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. A lot of money, lot business spent a lot of money on this, and it absolutely did have an effect on the election. But I would argue it was still an election that that unions played a very a significant role. Agreed. Joanne? And I want to play on something that you said, Brian, which is there's less political diversity. Mm. It's going to be really interesting to see if they're more effective, if they're not arguing with each other all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, whether, I, you, whether you like the effect or not, uh, they, they might be more effective. They might be in more in step with one another. Yeah. I, that's going to be the real test. I think that Tammy Morales is, is that one vote that might have that different progressive tag or whatever you want to put on her. But she, she's a little bit on an island here because you have to remember as well what we're talking about uh, with the council with regard to this is Teresa Mosqueda uh, won the county council seat. So she's off of there, and this new council is going to decide who that fill-in council member will be for about a year's time there. And it's going to be someone I would have to imagine that fits a little bit more with their more moderate values. So but, I think that's something to watch. Let me ask, the, I'll just put this question out there for everyone in the group then, but isn't, <clears throat> isn't um, Teresa Mosqueda winning a seat also evidence that it hardly means that progressive politics have gone away? I mean, no. she won. No, no, she, I think and you're right. And, she, and, she, levy won and she won in an yeah. area that is not necessarily reflexively progressive. Okay, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of how West Seattle voted, certainly uh, in the district election there for the city elections. But I, I guess what, what I'm seeing there is something on the county council where you've got some members now like Muscada and Gurmai Zahalai who really do represent uh, a progressive voice Absolutely, there on the right. county council. Yeah, yeah. So I hear what you're saying there. I, that's, that's definitely a piece well, of Well, let, let's get to listeners, people listening to us, and just residents. How? So, yes, there's going to be a change. It's going to be a new city council and county council, how is this going to affect people's lives? I've, I've wrestled with this one a lot. I, I, I think this is something that uh, a lot of people, there's a comfort level, certainly. It's like, okay, this progressive voice won or this moderate voice won or whatever else. But I think that what a lot of uh, Seattle voters are really looking for is some results. And I don't know if they care so much about those different labels. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, I know, out, out of class here, but because I know those, those different positions mean a lot to certain people. But at the same time, I think where Seattle was voting here was, was voting to try to get some results. This uh, regime of, of council members, as it was standing right now, wasn't producing the results they were looking for. Let's see if this new group can do that. So, so I'm thinking will, about... Will we see some changes? I'm not sure. I, I think the homelessness piece, the drug yes. enforcement piece, those are things to watch. Police staffing, response yep. times, revenue and spending homelessness, dealing with uh, with tent encampments, illegally parked RVs, you know, uh, bi- policies that affect business, policies yeah. that affect crime enforcement. I'm wondering how life is going to be different how next year? What's our best, what's our top prediction? I, 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 one I'll jump in with just because I think this is one that's going to be front and center and will really test this alliance between the mayor and these new council members is the fact that the council, the city as itself, is facing a 200 plus million dollar budget deficit next year. So 
how are you going to do that? A lot of these count, these uh, city council candidates were saying, well, we're going to be more efficient. We're going to save money here. We're going to look for money in the couch cushions there and all that kind of stuff. I really don't think that's going to add up to $200 million. I haven't found anybody who would really agree with that whole point there. It was a popular thing to say on the campaign trail. What's that going to turn into into action? So I think they're going to have to look towards some different alternative revenue sources there. Are they going to make sure – are they going to make some changes to the jumpstart tax such that they can essentially just claw that into the general fund? Are they going to consider some different taxes out there, different ways to tax the populace? I think those are things we should really pay attention to, and that's something that really could change for people next year. So when you say alternative taxes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, are we really saying sales taxes and hotel taxes, well, essentially, ca- right? Ca- capital gains taxes is what something they've discussed. Conceivably, right, yeah, yeah. Something yeah. they've discussed, too, so we'll see. And the jumpstart, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, by the way, just before we leave the elections, um, it's it would be nice if the v- ballot that you put in the mailbox would, would be delivered to oh uh, to the elections officials. We're only talking like 124 ballots, but they were found in mail collection boxes in King and Pierce County. We'll try to get that right. That. That was rough. I just, I just, in looking at that, with, I mean, you, the Secretary of State was talking about this, and I just thought I, he made a very good point, which was, hey, wait a minute, we're saying postage free on these envelopes. Can we get this right? You know, <laughs> not putting this in a in a mailbox that isn't even being used. So I'm hopeful that uh, they can turn that around. Well, the only th- good thing I think that came out of that, because it's terrible to be disenfranchised. Yeah. Uh, was that I learned that you can actually check and see if your ballot's been counted. I didn't realize that, but you can go online, go to the uh, – I can't remember now the exact site, but it's the Washington State Election Commission, and you can find out whether your vote has been counted. And this was discovered that their votes hadn't been counted by the people themselves. Yeah, people in Ballard were checking it out and said, wait a minute, what happened here? So, yeah, I'm glad they figured that out at least. And and so what is the – what do you expect is the – is the lag time between this getting cited as more evidence? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, what, what do we get? What do we get on this one? Maybe three days? Oh boy! Yeah. 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 Well, the 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 post office said that somebody, the, at least one, at least in King County, this is a mailbox that just hadn't been used anymore. It hadn't been cleared since October. There was an out of service sign on it. Said the postal officials, somebody removed it. Um, and yeah, I track my ballot every time. It's kind of satisfying. Yeah. yeah. And and. One last one last note is the I mentioned at the very beginning we begin with you the voter or should I say the non-voter yeah uh, so any if we're looking for a message delivered a message sent you always have to temper that by saying well most people didn't didn't make that vote uh, because the thirty eight percent turnout yeah yeah County. unbelievable and and it was especially bad in young people uh, the eighteen to twenty four year old vote fell by thirty one percent. You know, I, I, I've been around long enough to remember when 18-year-olds could not vote. It took mm. an amendment, you know, a national amendment, and they could, and it was because they could be drafted then. Mm. And I would like to see 18 to 24-year-olds vote as if they were likely to be drafted because it would get them involved and make them realize that their vote counts. It makes a difference. There's one way to do this. We need to move to some sort of, and, and I know that there's probably problems associated with this, some sort of app-based voting. Yeah, vote mm-hmm. online. I mean, there's no reason that we can't 
None at all. We can do that in a secure way. You want to start getting young people? Put it in their phones. Yeah. yeah. Simple. Yeah. But the old people aren't going to trust that election. No way. They can do whatever. They, they can still put their ballots in defunct mailboxes all they want. Right, right. There you go. It's interesting. And there's a lot of talk, too, about potentially moving the elections to even years because more people show up. So this is a big problem. At the statewide level, it was actually closer to about two out of three people not voting. I mean, that's that's just jaw-dropping to think about. Unbelievable. There, there's some really important local races there that are, uh, that are affecting Agreed. people and they're not involved. But yeah. you could also say that that does tell you something about the electorate. If they don't care enough to vote, why should their preferences be represented on the whatever the political body is? Well, why don't and they care enough to vote? this has been going on a long time. Yeah, you have to get it. Why don't they right. vote? And, you know, maybe we should have mandatory civics classes in fourth grade and really get it into their heads that voting makes a difference. Yeah, there, there's there's a movement uh, in, in, in process right now. Denny Heck is working on this on a statewide level to try really? to make sure that, yeah, make sure that civics classes, yeah, they require them in high school, but to try to bring them down to the elementary level to get at least some spark going uh, so that people can get involved as, as, as youngsters. Yeah, but, but you know the pushback on this, right? What? I mean, so, so I'm not pushing back saying that there should be one. Everyone should vote. I completely agree. But typically... Historically, in the United States, conservatives have been much more reliable voters and yeah. liberals have been much less reliable voters. Yeah. So every time there's a push to get everyone enfranchised, yeah. there is a specific push against that because yeah. it doesn't actually work as well oh, yeah. for some candidates. And so yeah. this is not an easy or clear fight to, no. to be able to get more people engaged. But I, and I think even the idea I suggested, like putting it on an app, there is going to be a considerable pushback yes. whenever that happens. And we all know that that's coming, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So far, the current city council, even as it is, is saying yes to a new surveillance system. Uh, this, this budget committee went along with the funding of a gunshot locator, uh, the most prominent company that does this is called ShotSpotter, but there are others. It uses audio sensors and video surveillance. This is the committee chair, Teresa Mosqueda, speaking against paying for ShotSpotter. She says a Chicago study found the technology has a 90% false positive rate. This led to police being sent into neighborhoods over 40,000 times when no gun-related violence had taken place. And then there's the surveillance issue. The ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union of Washington, argued that shot spotter type technology leads to over policing in communities of color, which is an argument that Seattle Mayor Bruce Harrell told KOW he finds frustrating. What does drive me a little crazy is that every time there is a shooting, the first thing that people ask, did we catch it on camera? Who, who, who was the shooter? Why did it occur? Where did they go after and I have our police department doing a very manually intensive exercise by which they're gathering evidence and then they're trying to retrieve private footage. And at some point, this, I think policy leaders will have to say, what should we try differently, particularly if it ha- is happening in your neighborhood? So this notion that communities of color oppose it, I've talked to, you know, I've lived in 98118 and 98144 most of my life. And so when I talk to these leaders in these communities, they embrace this pilot because they know I am trying to protect their communities. They get it. So I think the ACLU is just on the losing end of this argument, but I do respect their position on protecting people's liberties. So why is there no consensus on whether this shot spotting type technology wastes police time, as we heard at the beginning, or saves an understaffed police force's time and resources? I think that that 
Mayor Harrell is not talking about the complete version of ShotSpotter. He is talking about camera surveillance, which is only one component of it. The camera, yes, if we put cameras everywhere, all over the city, we would catch we would catch more people shooting. We, there's no zero question about this. The problem with ShotSpotter has been that it is actually a police dispatch tool. So it triangulates the sound of a shot and then dispatches police, says that shots fired in such and such a neighborhood, and they go there. The problem has been that it doesn't differentiate well with backfire, with fireworks, with all kinds of other things that give a fairly similar audio pattern. So then are police against this as a time waster? Some police think that the the technology is pretty half-baked at this point. Some police, they'll welcome any tool. I mean, if it yeah. helps them and they can get to the right scene if at the right time, them. it's just not clear that it's there yet. But remember, Harrell has been campaigning for this for years now. I mean, it, he's talked about it and talked about it. He is a firm believer in this. So this was going to get through, you know, by hook or by crook somehow. Yeah. The city was going to fund this. Yeah, he's been talking about it since. Well, he got a majority in this right. committee. Yes, it's not right. like it's just him. It, it was a really close vote. It was a five to four vote on this within the council. And I think there's a lot of discussion about this. Looking at these different studies in different cities, Chicago's one of them. Philadelphia's another one where you get these false positives. And I think the big concern is there, hey, if we keep talking about police shortages and we have these false right, positives exactly. and we're dispatching police to that, that's exactly what we don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just the... Uh, effectiveness of this, I think, is is a big piece of it. And I think the other piece of it is, too, when you set up these different cameras in these different communities, what's that going to do in terms of skewing the different statistics that we do get about gunshots? So, oops, we've got all the shots where we, you know, we've got all these shots uh, centered around where we have these cameras, this camera system in South Seattle, for example. We, we really need to send more officers there. Oops, we're sending more officers there. And guess what? There's a lot more stops and pats, pat-downs happening in that area. So how do you balance that? I, I think the mayor is trying to do something that, again, he's been talking about for a long time, and he's trying to do some kind of different tool because you talk about what's going on in some of these areas here, like the Central District, for example, shooting outside a daycare. We talk about uh, shooting outside a youth football practice, etc. I think there are some very real issues there. There's a lot of frustration that nothing's getting done. Let's try a new tool is what the mayor is saying. I have a lot of questions about it in terms of his, uh, of its effectiveness, but this is what he's going to try to do. Well, the, the, just the frustration of there not being evidence to support this. You know, there's anecdotes, and then there's the company saying that it works. But other than that, is there anything that says this is a good idea? It's being used in a lot of cities. The mayor told KOW's, the show Soundside, that he claimed that some of the reporting of poor shot spotter results is coming from competitors of mm. ShotSpotter. I have no, I don't, you know, that's what he says. And yeah. he also said, by the way, that he hasn't decided on this company that runs ShotSpotter, which is now called Sound something, um, that, it, you know, it could be a different technology. But it was, but you, I'm has the same question, Joanne, because it is being used. Yeah. And some, some cities drop it and some cities say they like it. I mean, in, in, in the mayor's defense, I think l- looking for a new tool, because this is clearly an issue, does make some sense. And I would also say, like, how many times have all of us online looked at the – what was it? What do they use in Great Britain? The CC – Oh. CCTV, yeah, CCTV, and they it's have everywhere. astounding everywhere. video of virtually yes. every major crime. And you think, yeah. like, well, from a law enforcement standpoint, that's awfully handy. I, from a from a, a civil liberty standpoint, maybe a little bit less so. So you can understand the rationale behind wanting to. If you're a city official and what you're tasked with is stopping this, you're going to grab every tool out of the box you can. 
right? Yeah. And what makes this a little bit different is adding these different tools like CCTV, adding a license yes, plate exactly. reader as yeah. well. So they won't have just the acoustic information. They potentially could pair that with video information and make uh, and make a stop because of that. Mm-hmm. So there's a few different pieces to it. I should add also there will be some further discussion about that. Whenever the city adds some new surveillance technology, there has to be a hearing about it uh, with regard to the surveillance analysis is what they call it. And they say, okay, what sort of impact is this going to have from a race and social justice perspective? Yes. What kind of impact is this going to have on police department, et cetera? That's so right. that's, that's going to keep happening ahead. The committee said we'll spend the $1.5 million, but the mayor's office has to do this racial equity analysis that you just described. And you, the listener, can uh, tell the city what you think because the final budget vote happens at a full council meeting, I believe, on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. On, coming on up Tuesday. next week. Yeah, yep. coming up next week. So uh, you're filled in on that now. Let's continue to catch you up on the news of the week with my panel of local journalists, Joanne Silberner, Mike Lewis, Brian Callanan. I'm Bill Radke. We're on Facebook and um, what's the other one? YouTube. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and come right back. And it's free. Uh, But unlike some parts of life where you sit on the train and you get ambassadored. Hang on. Support comes from Pacific Science Center, working to inspire the next generation of scientists and increase access to STEM education statewide through digital discovery workshops, science on wheels, and summer camps. More ways to support these efforts at PACSci.org. Support comes from Gather Pottery, hosting ceramicist Sarah Anderson, teaching a weekend graffito workshop for all levels, May 18th and 19th at Gather Pottery in Interbay. Learn more at gatherpottery.com. You're with KUOW's Week in Review, health journalist Joanne Silberner, Seattle Channel's Brian Callanan, GeekWire's Mike Lewis. A free ride on light rail just got harder this week. The government had eased up on fare enforcement during the pandemic emergency, but this week Sound Transit put its so-called fare ambassadors back on the trains, telling riders to show proof of payment, potentially writing citations. Having to pay to ride makes sense to this light rail rider. I think it's really silly that this is like the only city in the country where there's no turnstiles. You know, the first thing I noticed was absolutely no enforcement. In Los Angeles, we have something called a tap card, which is the Orca card equivalent. You can't even get into the subway without a a tap card. You can't do anything. However, these riders are not happy about the fair enforcement. Yeah, I mean, that just sucks. We, We don't pay at all. We're just not doing too hot financially right now. So it especially, and I know a lot of other people that aren't. So because of that, it's just like yet another thing that we have to pay for. Wasn't that part of the promise when when the sound transit tax was pitched that riders would pay at least some of the cost? Yeah, pay a pretty good portion of it. And that's the big concern right now, this uh, fare box revenue, as they call it. That's a big piece of this. And so when voters said yes to Sound Transit 3 in 2016, Sound Transit said, well, guess what? The fare that we bring in, that's going to cover 40% of the cost. As it stands right now, it's getting something close to 16%, so it's not even close to that. So they're trying these different tools to try to bring it up to basically what their policy says. This is what we should be doing. And I think it's it's just 
interesting to watch this. They're really trying to encourage more people to get back on transit. A lot of people left the transit system through the pandemic, et cetera. They're trying to get them back on. But the ridership, as I was looking at this uh, from last year's numbers, the ridership went up something like 83%, so some good improvements there. But the fare revenue only increased 60%. So more people are coming on. Yeah, that's great, but more people are not paying too, and that's the big concern here. I think that if you're going to have fares, you should enforce fares. And I think that that is silly to not enforce fares or create an environment where no one is really actually worried about paying their fare. If you want to discuss free transit, I'm I'm all ears. I mean, I'm not a I'm not against that. But if you're going to put a fare system in place, then enforce that fare system. I was uh, yeah. I've actually had one of the ambassadors uh, check my ticket on the way back from the airport. I think a while back, and and sure enough, walked up, had my ticket, everything everything was fine. But what did they say? What's the ratio of of People who get checked on transit, 1%, oh, yeah. something like that. that. I was man. saying earlier, you know, when we were off air, like, I want my one percenter patch because I actually was <laughs> one of those people who right. got checked. I got to say, those ambassadors, I've seen them too, and I mean, in just in one instance, and they were really impressive. They were clearly well-trained, I have to say, and they kept things calm, and there was a guy – not the person they were questioning. Somebody else was yelling at them, saying, "Yeah, get those, get those fares, get those free riders. I had to pay, and everybody should pay." And they were they just handled the situation beautifully. But why aren't there turnstiles? I I I, I struggle with that too. I, I went to college in the Bay Area, and I remember being on BART, and that was just a thing. Same, you, same with me, right? Yeah, you, you yeah. pop it yeah. in there, and off you go. And, I mean, and for the ferries, you got to put a card. Well, in. they're yeah. they're expensive. People evade them, and then when people do evade them, you're obligated to enforce it against those people. Yeah, you know all that. All that's well. The, 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 the punishments here are—it's yeah, well, just so Seattle. What is it? The first you get two warnings. Yeah. Then there's a fifty dollars fine. If I'm understanding this correctly, you can avoid that if you sign up to be in a focus group. Yeah. Or, or you enroll or take a class. Enroll mm-hmm. in a course. Yeah. Or promise to pay in the future. You know? I, I hope that the ambassadors, and they didn't with, because since I had a ticket, I didn't have an extended conversation. Yeah. But I hope that, that they're good at pointing at the people, because I agree. I mean, the people who can't afford it can't afford it. There are programs that actually provide the Orca Lift program. That's true. Provides, provides free to very low cost passes for people. And I hope that they do some way of getting these people connected with an actual pass. I think that's great. And I don't mind subsidized rides for people who can't afford it. I think that that's actually should be a load-bearing pillar in every transit system. However, I hope that that is actually that sort of um, connection is being made for people who don't actually have a fare and can't afford a fare. Then there's a whole category of people who just don't want to pay. And and I don't mind them getting a ticket whatsoever. No, me neither. (laughs) And I I would actually like to see free transit because it would encourage more people to use it. But if there is a fare, I'm with you. If there is a fare... You got to do something. Yeah, and that's what we voted for. So I mean, I think yeah, that's, exactly, that's right. part of the yeah. that's part of the situation right now. But on the on the free transit, I thought it was interesting. I saw that piece in the Times uh, a couple of days ago about Clallam County joining with this. There's there are a lot of different places around our state twelve twelve plus it looks like that are trying this free transit type of thing, and they're just encouraging people to use the transit transit that's out there. Would that fly in our area? Maybe, but again, that's not what we voted for. In so, quick question for the group then. Um, I don't rem- and I should have looked this up before the show. 
Remember when they used to the free zone in downtown? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. That, is that still a thing, or is that not done anymore? It is not. They don't. They, they don't, don't do that because I thought that was handy. I did that all the time. I'd pop on, pop back off when I needed to get across downtown, yep. and it seemed to be relatively popular. And I kind of, I don't know why that can't make. Maybe it's just too expensive, and maybe why that can't make a comeback. Usually, when I'm on the that bus, I get out on the bus well outside of downtown. Then I'm heading into downtown or something like that. I think right. there may have been a few security issues with it, and I know we've seen more of those well, on our bus system recently. True. So people essentially using that as a yeah. place to sleep, place to live during the day. So I, I, I think that might have been a piece of it, and I think there's been some pressure on on Sound Transit up and down the line, not just with Link, but with their buses as well, to en- encourage people to want to get on. And when you have situations like that. I don't know. I, I think they're trying as many different things as they can to get right. the revenue they need and make make people feel safe getting on these these modes of transit. You're listening to KUOW's Week in Review and the fair ambassadors boarded. I saw many of them. I didn't see. I've seen many interactions over time. I can I can give you the advice. Uh, uh, I don't have to give it because people uh, very commonly use it. Number one, pretend to be asleep. Mm, okay. And in in the past, it was tell the fair ambassador why you absolutely have your card, but you just you know this is the excuse. But I don't think I, I guess it's no excuses anymore. Now they're just they're not really listening to your story one way or the other, as you said, Joanne. They're just, they're just counting the number of violations, and yeah. and hopefully, as you said, hooking you up with a free card if right. you need a free card. Exactly. Yeah. All right, so um, we'll see how that goes, and we'll see uh, what happens to revenue. Um, topic next, Joanne Silberner. <laughs> Have you ever seen a grizzly bear? Not in person, no? a- outside of a zoo. If you were hiking in the North Cascades and you came around a bend and were face-to-face with a grizzly, would you think, you know, although this isn't working out well for me, overall, I'm glad the National Park Service has reintroduced this meat-eating <laughs> apex predator to the, the place where it roamed for thousands of years before human encroachment led to its numbers to dwindle. Would you say that would be your reaction? Well, my husband always says, you just have to run faster than the people you're with. Mm. Uh So I could, you know, just go ahead and uh, figure I need to go with people who don't run as fast as I do. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's a lot of people. I don't run very fast. And that advice is getting harder to take as I age. Yeah, exactly. you know, when it when I first saw the stories about this, I thought, oh, my God, why why would you introduce something like this? And I thought, this is just a really bad idea. But you know what? Uh, you know, when I give talks, sometimes I, I yeah, say that I'm on indigenous land. And uh, if, if I'm going to be sincere about that and they want the grizzlies back and they, they do, a number of the tribes have said, you know, the grizzlies were here. They should still be here. I got to support it. It's hard, but I got to support that. Yeah. Well, the Park Service and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife are uh, have been taking public comments about this decision to whether to introduce in the North Cascades. Yeah, I bring the perspective. Well, a unique perspective, I think. I have camped in grizzly bear country. I've definitely done that. And, Where was that? Uh, this was in in the Sierra Nevadas in California, mm-hmm. uh, and bear bags and the whole thing. And um, I've also seen cocaine bear in the theaters, so that helps. okay that helps. <laughs> you have a unique perch. A very very uh, couldn't be a worse movie. I can't can't believe I saw that in the theater. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, it was. I think what they're talking about here is trying to do something safely and introduce a small amount of bears to begin with. It would grow over generations. Essentially, it's, it's metered. It's like right. three to seven bears. Three to seven right. in every for, year. Every year for ten years, and then they'll evaluate. However, I know that you have listeners in the Central Washington area that are going crazy right now because they. 
they went through this. In 2020, there was a move to try to do this again, and it was shut down. Uh, Representative Dan Newhouse, who's been in that area for a long, long time, got a bunch of people together and said, hey, this is not good for families. This is not good for ranchers here. We don't want this. So I'm very interested to see what happens with this and if it gets up to that level again, because the Department of the Interior has tried this before. And so I I don't know what's different three years later that would have more people in this area not pushing back. So we'll we'll have to see about that. Well, they're they're coming. They're going to come in from Canada at some point Mm -hmm. because they're being introduced in British Columbia. Yeah. So they'll be here. The question is, they have no respect for borders. Well, (laughs) they they refuse to stand in the in the line at the the security line. Who could blame them? No, I don't. But the healthcare is so much better up there. You have four inch claws. You don't have to stand in any line at all. It's time to build that wall and make REI (laughs) pay for it. Oh boy. I mean, the interesting thing I think about this is one: the Interior Department has done it before with wolf reintroduction. Yeah. Wolf reintroduction had, in some ways, was spectacularly successful. Um, the ranchers are the primary opponent to this, right? Because they lose um, animals to predation. And I don't know that grizzlies have the same effect. I was looking for some information on this. They certainly don't hunt in the same manner that a pack of wolves does. A pack of wolves can, can do quite a number on a herd of cattle. Grizzlies are not don't hunt sort of in the same way in, in groups and things like that. So it's a very different effect. But if you want to know who is going to be opposing, who's on the negative on the comments field, zero doubt – it is a it is uh, ranchers mm-hmm. in that area because they just don't want that. There's two things they don't want. They don't want the predation on any herds that they have. They also don't want the reestablishment of certain wildlands because they know that be- coming in behind that can be restrictions on how these lands are used because most mm. ranchers are not using private land. Most ranchers are using BLM land or Forest Service land right. mm-hmm. uh, to to um, to graze their cattle or their sheep or whom, whatever they're raising. And so this is going to be an interesting. Fight because remember that area is politically a lot more conservative oh, than yeah. this area. I mean, that's the funny thing about wolf reintroduction or any with birds. People are a little bit more chill, right? When 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 well, we, except when for we the spotted banned, owl. well, except yeah. for the spotted owl. But right. I mean, when we banned DDT, which a lot of the pesticide companies got against to to bring back bald eagles, what did it do? It brought back actually bald eagles. I mean, we've had some big success mm-hmm. with species reintroduction or rebuilding. The grizzly one, I would like to see it personally. I, I, I kind of like the idea, and I have backpacked in Yellowstone, and you know, and you backpack very differently yep. when you backpack in grizzly country. I mean, you've got to be no headphones, no, like you're, you're very, right. very aware at every twig snap because right. it's a very different thing running into a grizzly than running into a black bear I guess uh, if you're if you're out to backpacking. My question on it is: the grizzly is not endangered, but is definitely not in this area of the North North Cascades where it used to be. So I wonder if the argument is, hey, this animal isn't endangered. It's doing great in other parts. Why do we need to bring it back here? I, well, I so know. so they the answer to that typically has been, at least in, from Yellowstone, when they reintroduced the gray wolf, was that you, you start rebalancing the ecosystem. Yeah. Because you're, you're putting in, like you said, an apex predator in a situation where you have an over – you get an overpopulation when you remove the top of the food chain away. Yeah. Yeah. And so – Again, we typically are the functional apex predator yeah. in most environments, right? In this particular case, it certainly would return that area to what it had been for thousands of years. Yeah. But there's going. It, this is going to be a very interesting and I suspect protracted political fight. Yeah. I just pulled this. You were asking. You're saying that grizzlies are not endangered. I just pulled up yeah, the state Fish and Wildlife Department says they have not been confirmed in the Washington North Cascades since 1996 and are considered a state endangered species. Uh, okay, there we due go. Due to the grizzly bears being a federally threatened and state listed yeah. endangered species. 
killing one, either unintentionally or unintentionally, can bring extremely costly fines and penalties. But anyway, to the yeah. question about endangered, I guess they're considered endangered in Washington Within the state. state. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, functionally, functionally extinct from, is what I heard. Yeah, yeah, that is different from the uh, the, the national the recognition. species is going to go away yeah. if we don't do this yeah. in the North Cascades. Right. Yeah. Interesting point about headphones, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it might... I mean, there are dangers anyway, right? But there are reasons not to wear headphones. But that's that might be an extra... That might that get you to... That is a very good... That's a reason to reintroduce... <laughs> to bike trails, right? You know? so, right. so you can get around people who can't hear you. I'm, I'm all for grizzly reintroduction virtually everywhere. I love it. Here we go. <laughs> the Burt Gilman reintroduction plan continues. <laughs> yeah. Public comment. Well, lunchtime. Okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how this idea of grizzly bear reintroduction uh, proceeds. You're listening to KOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. And we're going to take another short break. I'm going to whip through a a few stories that uh, we haven't had a chance to get to yet. And then we're going to get to a smile, as we do, when you come right back. I'm glad you're with us here on KUOW's Week in Review. You could be watching us on YouTube or Facebook. Either way, you're listening to GeekWire's Mike Lewis, Seattle Channel's Brian Callanan, Independent health journalist Joanne Silberner, and I'm KUOW's Bill Radke. Seattle is now in a new USDA plant hardiness zone. Uh, anybody know what that is, by the way, a plant hardiness zone? Yeah, it just tells you what time of year is good to plant certain vegetables based on the expected temperature. Yeah, what plants are most likely to survive the winters here? We were in zone 8B. And now warming temperatures have brought us up to zone 9A. I didn't know that. Wow, yeah. that's big. Well, that yeah. is big. Mm-hmm. That's that's actually really big. Yeah. Generally speaking, we have regional microclimates here but right. in, in, in different zones, but, but mostly. And it's, um, you know, I looked at some of the examples of how this changes what you plant. It's mostly the same flowers except uh, lilies and peonies it are, will do a little better now in general, according, you know, well, because we're in a new know. zone. Uh, trees not not as good for the beech and the birch when you warm up a little, and of course there's the worry about infestation pines. Well, and, and the drought we have firmageddon going on now for fir trees. What? Oh, firmageddon. Firmageddon. Yes, this we is have. Bad. I, I was actually going to get to uh, to uh, drinking water and drought. We're still being asked to um, yeah. to conserve water. That's not over yet. Uh, but uh, I, I guess a little better for the pear tree. I read, which is good habitat for a partridge this time of year. Mm. Um, That's all true. Other tree news, by the way, the apple harvest, the Washington apple harvest we just had was great. It was almost 5% above the average production of prior years. Good color, good quality. Uh, Joanne, those apples would be free of lead, wouldn't they? Unlike... Yes. The thing to worry about is um, apple cinnamon... Fruit puree pouches. Mm. Yeah. If you take your apples in little pouches that have cinnamon attitude and they have either any of these three brands, Wana Banana, which I love, Schnooks, or Weiss, there's been a recall. Do not eat them. Lead is bad for kids. Yeah, and it's it, it's it's affected a lot of different kids. And the thing that I saw from the FDA was they're actually looking specifically at the cinnamon, which might be in other products too. So definitely scary for parents out there. I mean, I think back when my kids were little, they downed those pouches. Like that was the only thing they would eat for a long time. It's like <laughs> going to town on the pouches there. But uh, I think there's a continuing investigation, at least what I've seen on this, that they're looking into the cinnamon and the source of it. And is it in other foods too? So oh to be continued on this one. 
Right. The FDA said that's its leading hypothesis. I don't know why the cinnamon would have lead in it, it's, but yes, it said the FDA says other fruit puree products made by the recalled brands did not have high levels of lead and have not been recalled. That's good. 34 reported illnesses so far. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm whipping through, you know, so far, if you just joined us on Week in Review, we talked about the big election. We talked about the gunshot locators and the, and the uh, enforcement of fares on transit and grizzly bears being reintroduced to the Burt Gilman Trail. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the North Cascades. And, yeah, my personal dream. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> a guy can dream, can't he? And mm-hmm. now we're just, I just want to, you know, mention a few other stories that uh, we, we haven't gotten to yet. I saw that a Seattle business person, Roger Nihus, gets to be the ambassador to Barbados and the Eastern Caribbean. Absolutely, that's what that's, that nice. that is the uh, the windfall from raising a hundred thousand dollars. Yes, <laughs> for a presidential candidate. That's yeah. it. <laughs> I know, that's not all? bad, right? Right. Why? Yeah. If you want to be the ambassador, I'm, and by the way, not a fair ambassador. This is a United States <laughs> ambassador. It's a little different. And it comes with housing. Although I do yes. like the idea of a bait and switch. <laughs> right. Right. We just said, <laughs> we ambassador. Yeah, we just said right. ambassador, right. not specifically right. which one. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, the dollars. It's yeah. good to be a fundraiser for the uh, political party in charge. It really helps you understand the needs of the people of Antigua. Indeed. Um, the sad story, and maybe a, maybe a, an outrageous story, too. There was a fire at a doggy daycare oh. in Soto, in Seattle's Soto neighborhood. At least one dog died, one missing, one found, but he fell off an, off, an on-ramp near Lumen Field and is in bad shape. Huh. Uh, and but I say outrage because the same company's doggy daycare in Lake City, a different Seattle neighborhood, burned in February. And that one was reportedly caused by lint buildup in a dryer. I don't know the details. I don't know what happened here in this one. but No, there's been some sad things on Facebook of people looking for their dogs. People yeah. who are tra- you know, they're traveling. They're, they're gone. Traveling. They're out of town. And then... Their dogs are somewhere. Yeah. Well, and Soto is bad enough to you know walk yes. around, bike around. I can't even imagine what it's like for a dog running around there in the middle of the night. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I, I I would like to see what happens with this investigation and exactly what you know that both locations were hit by fire. That that doesn't seem right mm. at all. Yeah, that's a little bit. Uh, I don't know. You, it, it's impossible to draw any conclusions from this, but I think everyone's drawing conclusions from this, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, the Seattle uh, public school superintendent did not recommend that the district close any schools next year, even though attendance is down. So that means less money for the district. Uh, the district leaders are going to adjust their spending, their programs, and ask the legislature to let them borrow more money. But parents still have to wonder whether their neighborhood school is going to close the following year. Uh, the, the trend isn't turning around that we know of. No, I don't. I don't have kids, but I just sold the house that's near a school, and I understand how much being near a school affects your real estate value. So there's going to be repercussions when that happens. I hadn't even thought of that. I was just thinking about having to suddenly, you know, bust your kid or drive him yeah. someplace. But yeah, that real estate value has a larger so effect for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's 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 a wait and see type thing, and I feel like they're kind of pu- pushing the ball down the road a little bit, and and. And I will see what the state does. Again, the state's gotten in a lot more revenue from capital gains taxes, whatever else. I think there's a lot of different agencies pushing for those extra dollars from the state. Yeah, almost a billion dollars. Yeah, right? yeah, it's a lot. So yeah, 900 yeah. mil. Yeah, so that's uh, that's going to be something they're going to be looking at really hard next year to try to work with some of these school districts. And I should point out that Seattle's not alone with this issue. This right. is happening all around the state. Bellevue. So Yeah, a lot. Well, of and also the Seattle sort of overall effort as a city from city plan- city planning standpoint to create 
like self-contained neighborhoods, which mm-hmm. Seattle actually has a fair bit on the natural anyway, but areas so people don't have to drive right. across town. Uh, for mm-hmm. I mean, this sort of runs in the face. You know, closing schools absolutely adds to that whole thing that the city is trying to fight against. Now, I don't know. You have to balance that out financially, but but I hate it when I see a, like a local school because you you know it's one of those rare places where you see people actually walking. You know? Yeah, you know, and, and you then suddenly when that school closes, you're not doing that anymore, and certainly not with your family. And the playgrounds, it just. You yeah. know, having all that available because in the it becomes community. also open space for the community as well. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, a uh, couple more notes to uh, Seattle, as I mentioned, asking you to conserve water. Still, a couple of details: we've dropped our usage by forty-four million gallons per day, and we had all that rain last week, but not enough yet. The city says take shorter showers and. Uh, only drink bottled beer. I think. Well, and I, I feel like people aren't watering the lawns as much at all. I mean, yeah. that's certainly not not happening now. So it makes makes sense that people are using less water. But, yes, uh, that's true. We'll, we'll I see. think it was. A, well, that's a good question. Forty four million gallon per day down compared to what we would expect, or just compared to the dead of summer. To September. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah the, so there's a person who grew up in California. Mm. I mean, who's been dealing obviously even when I was a kid. Uh, this was a problem, and it was oh, we always, the, <laughs> you this can was only the water land. on certain days. Well, yeah. no, no, yeah. not only that, yeah. and there were so many cities that didn't even have water metering. Right, they yeah. were just pumping the yeah, aquifers yeah, yeah. dry. But the the main thing I remember from all this is what the brick in the toilet. Right, because oh, you were supposed yes. to. But if anyone remembers hey, that, you were happened? supposed to put a brick in your toilet yes. tank that would take up some water. You would have lower, lesser flushes. But apparently, collectively. It actually was reasonably significant. We but absolutely I did brick in a toilet. Yeah, I yeah, forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. Yes, we did. Now we've got the low flow. You can do the low flow or the high flow options. Right, you know, boy. I guess those are fancy. Yeah. Oh, and finally, Mike, you reminded me this Thanksgiving, America will not just be watching the Cowboys and the Lions or whoever the annual tradition teams are playing football. No, the Seahawks are that? actually going to be. They, I think the last time was 20. 14 mm-hmm. and and so i've got a i've got a not not anything you know that's going to create any uh, fcc problems but i've got a confession to make about um about the seahawks I, I i i'm a fan don't don't get me wrong here i like the seahawks but i love the seahawks games because it, I can get so much other things, so many other things oh, yeah. done. Like this yeah. is when I do when I do Trip cycling, like the roads, yeah. the Super Bowl, the roads. It was like a bomb went off. Like the roads were yeah. all completely. And you don't clear. even need gri- you can go bears. to Home right, Depot. Right, right. You can go to you know like all these places, Costco. Yeah. Like it, they become these like the glorious. Oh, I've been doing that. I lived you know? in D.C. where it used to be the then Redskins. I did all my shopping. That's. That I mean, it's just this great opportunity. Then I can catch the highlights later. Hit, yeah. hit your local ski hill on bingo, it's, right? It's it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I've been there, done that. Not that we're not fans. No, no, no. not no, no, in the sense that you thought that I said that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, who likes red lights? Red lights. They make you stop. They make you wait. All that time you're burning <laughs> gas. If you're burning gas, you're polluting the air. Mike. You're a, you're a GeekWire guy. Can technology make it so no one ever has to stop? It's a really good story by uh, Kurt Schlosser in GeekWire about Google getting involved in helping your traffic situation. And effectively, Google going into doing fairly detailed analysis of when you should actually have longer green lights than you do, that it moves this larger pulse of traffic through a given intersection. Where you see it happening a lot, they talk about specific studies on 15th and in Ballard, but also the Mercer Corridor as well was one of those places where they went longer, not shorter. The idea, initial idea being the shorter sort of pulses just kept traffic moving. Turns out it doesn't. Turns out the longer ones actually allow 
a complete clearing, and then it backfills again, and then it allows another complete clearing. And it looks like well, Google's at least trying to – so Google's out there trying to help – while Google is trying to you know, harvest all of your information, it's also mm-hmm. trying to help you move through traffic a little bit more efficiently well, here unless you're on And a- we're part of a pilot project of several cities in the world that Google is yes, specifically right. focusing Rio on. Rio de Janeiro and Hamburg and Jakarta. But, but doesn't that disadvantage the people, the poor sods on the cross street? Yeah. Or if you're trying to walk across this busy street, or I mean, bikes, I w- or a bicycle. Wonder, yeah, I wonder how that's Look, being incorporated. If I'm moving faster through traffic, I am not worried about the cross street. <laughs> when I'm on the cross street, I am worried about the cross street. <laughs> but you know, they're presenting this as a way of saving gas. Yeah, yeah. But isn't this going to encourage more people to drive if it's easier? Mm. Well, so that's the whole transit pain point, right? Like, how bad do you make it to have a car before people? But yeah. but we don't really provide a realistic alternative to cars yet. I mean, our bus system was. Great, not so much anymore. Light rail, still one line. Yeah, you know, right, yeah. right. Good for getting to the airport. Sure, right. Other than that, even that's like it's pretty slow getting to the airport. Every yeah. time that yeah. message says, "This is the one line to Northgate," <laughs> I always, it's, I, I hear her saying, "This is the one line you get." Yeah. <laughs> even after that's all, it. right, right, right. Oh, can Google make the ferries work? Can Ooh. they do that? Oh, please. Uh, something. I don't even think Google could do that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, some 3D printing or something, which is print a bunch of them. I, yeah, <laughs> they need something. Sorry, oh, Joanne. Boy. Yeah, no, it's hard. We're down to, this fleet is down, I gather, 38%. And now there's, some, uh, at least on Bainbridge Island where I live, there's the main highway where you can actually go north, get into, you know, at least get onto the Kitsap Peninsula. You can get off the island. That road is all full of construction and it's all backed up and you can't rely on that anymore. So it's really island living now. Joanne Silberner now lives in the Talk One studio at KUOW. She's not, <laughs> not leaving. There's, she had a little bed. I, I like your bed in the corner there. Yeah, no, I had, to, I, had, I had to take the earlier ferry because you just never know. You yeah. just never know if the next one's going. Mm. Okay, we just got a, two minutes left in the show. I like to leave listeners with something to smile about. Did any of you notice anything hopeful? I got one thing, yeah. and it actually is. I didn't actually come in here with uh, a pre-prepared mm. smile, but then you it said something here? that actually made me start <laughs> laughing. It happened here. Uh-huh. They made me start laughing. Is just that whole way that you <laughs> the fair avoidance technique of pretending you're asleep, yes. which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> but then it reminded me, and I don't know if any of you have. I'm sure you have, and I'm sure some of the listeners have as well. Remember, I don't know if they still do this when you would fly southwest. Mm. And they just did the sort of cattle call, yeah. and and that and people wouldn't make eye contact, yes. <laughs> so, so so you wouldn't sit next to them and crowd them because they wanted that empty seat next mm. to them, and they'd all and people would do like how fast were these people getting? To, they'd get on the plane and be like pretending to be asleep immediately, yeah. like almost immediately. Like yes. kind of love the whole pretending you're asleep uh, yeah. technique. It it's, a yeah, it's, a yeah. it's a classic. Yeah, it's a Technology can't take a, that away can't from us. They'll no. always have pretending to be asleep. <laughs> I, I wanted to give a shout out, a smile this weekend. Uh, Seattle Musicians Access to Sustainable Healthcare, Smash. They have their benefit concert on the 19th at the Moore Theater. This is a group that actually helps local musicians get healthcare. Really good group. Shout out to them. I uh, got guys like Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie, Matt Cameron from Sound Garden Pearl Jam going to be there, so uh, a group we're supporting, and I just want to keep local music rocking here. All right, I've met two of those, two out of those people, mm-hmm. and I'll take us back to the beginning. We're already a week into solar winter, so there's one less week, and it's been sunny yesterday and today, and I hope people are out there enjoying it. Sounds yeah. good. I guess I, I, all I got is that uh, Sif Cinema downtown is selling tickets for uh, for Ooh. Wonka. They're back in business on mm. December 14th. Nice. 
which was nice to hear. Um, okay, we. Um, oh, and there was a there was twenty year long studies showing King County streams fewer pollutants than they oh. used to be. Our streams are in better shape. More stone flies, more mayflies, more caddis flies, mm-hmm. and more fish, and and well, presumably help. more fish. There's exactly. more food. Uh, I hope you had a reason to smile. I smile whenever I see all of you. Mike Lewis from GeekWire, thanks for coming over. Absolutely. Yeah, Joe Ansel Berner, health journalist. Always good to see you. Good luck getting back to Bainbridge. Thank you. (laughs) Seattle Channel host and producer Brian Callan. Good to see you again. Thank you. Thank you, you, Bill. Yeah. Weekend Reviews produced by Kevin Kniestet. Social media live streaming from Juan Pablo Chiquiza and Tio Popescu. Bernard Ouellette makes it sound great on the board. And hey, join us for our annual Year in Review event at the Cornish Playhouse in Seattle, Thursday evening, December 14th. It's a Thursday evening, Year in Review Live. I'll be there making merry. We'll have special guests, person of the year, and all that kind of great stuff at Cornish Playhouse. Just go to KUOW.org events and get your tickets. KUOW.org events.